We hear stuff about faith and awesome faith, and I don't, I don't think we get it a lot of times. I think we, we have this uh, mistaken idea that to have awesome faith is something different than it really is. Like maybe awesome faith is having a lot of faith. You know, like I know somebody's got a lot of faith. You know, what, you, if you've got a lot of faith, but you don't operate in that faith, it's not doing you any good. You know, you, you can, if you, you got a, we got one of those trucks that's got like two gas tanks. You know, if you got one of those gas tanks slap full running over, but you're not tapping into it, it doesn't matter how much gas you've got. Now, now the word of God tells us in the book of Romans, and, and, and we're not going to show you that scripture. don't have time for all of my scriptures. So some of them are on the Sunday's page. If you go there, you can click on the link. I'll take you right to it. It says that every one of us have been given a measure of faith. And you know what? That would not be fair. If God required us to have amazing faith, you know, I like big faith. That's what amazing faith. If God required us to have big faith to, to receive anything from him, it wouldn't be fair that he just gave us all a measure of faith. You know, but something else Jesus said. Jesus said, and that scripture also is on Sunday's page. You can click on it. Jesus talked about how, how even the smallest amount of faith, and he relates it to the faith is the size of a grain of a mustard seed, which is really, 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 really small. He says even that much faith is enough to move mountains. So it's not about the amount of faith. And you know, one of the things I've been noticing, again, reading, you know, reading through the, the Bible so far this year, one of the things I've been noticing is, you know what? It isn't necessary either that you be perfect or that you be perfect in your faith. Sarah laughed when she heard God said, I'm going to do something amazing for you. Abraham kept trying to figure out a way around it. I mean, and these are, these are people that, that, that God mentions on and on and on. And we get over to Hebrews and, and we even talk about them as being two of the, two of the people that God recognizes as people with, with this, this awesome faith. So it's, it's not about the amounts. It's not about being perfect. Let me, let me tell you what, what it is. People who have awesome faith are people who live their faith. It's not about how much you've got. It's not that you're perfect in it all the time. It's not that sometimes doubt creeps in. You know, the disciples, they told Jesus, hey, we, we believe, but help our unbelief. But it's that they live their faith. Here, here's, here's what I mean by living your faith. Is these are people that, that they use their faith to make decisions. They made decisions based on their faith, or, or, or I should say it this way, they did not make decisions outside of their faith. You know, and it blows me away, you know, that, that we Christians, you know, we make so many decisions outside of our faith. We're not even thinking about, you know, what our faith is. And, and, and one of the things I know some people think about is, is faith. Well, that means believing, right? No, no, no. It's so much deeper than that. It's faith. It, it's, it's what you hold. It's belief, but it's, it's, it's so much more than, uh, yeah, I believe that. No, 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 no. It's so much more than that. And, and, and people with awesome faith, they live their faith. They, they don't have to be reminded uh, every week or so to live their faith. You don't have to ask. Someone who's living their faith, you don't ever have to ask them, have you prayed about it? Because they have. People who live their faith pray about everything. They talk to God about everything because they're living their faith. They don't, they don't make decisions and, and then hope God's okay with it. It's, if you're living your faith, you're asking God every day because, you know, I got to tell you again, God knows the future. 
You know, we we made we put a bid on a on a piece of property had a house on it and and uh, you know it, it had this number here and you know that uh, the amount that they thought most people thought the bidding was going to start at and it was all all secret you know and you you had to just submit it and hope you were high enough and you know we went over ten thousand dollars higher than that it wasn't the place we wanted but you know it was it, was, it, it would work and so we went over ten thousand above that and, and and still I think I think we still got bid by ten more thousand dollars you know and and, and and people thought we were disappointed when, you know this was this was I think this was last year sometime. And people thought we were disappointed, and, 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 and you know, I, I said, no, because I asked God, you know, I asked God to, to tell us, help us know what to bid, and to protect us, because you know what, and, and my, my, uh, my daughter, Kristen, was with us one day when we were looking at it, and we, we drove by, and then afterwards, we were talking about it, she said, well, you know, the, that, that house right over there, and they look like really, really good people, you know, it looks like a really good people. I said, but you know what, God knows if those people over there have a grandson in prison who's about to get out of prison and he's going to move in with them and start selling drugs out the back door. You know what? God knows that kind of stuff, you know? You know, he knows where, he knows where radon and other, other gases are. He knows, where, he knows that, that kind of thing. He knows when, when the economy is going to tank. He knew, knew all of these things. And so, so why in the world, if, if, if I have a faith in God, why would I not be living it every single day and say, God, now you, God, your word says you, you, you order my steps. Why would I not be praying, God, help me find those steps and put my feet in them every single day? And if I begin to get out of the way, God, you know the future. Why, why would I not do that? But that's exactly, it's exactly what we do. It's exactly what, and, and, and this is, but this is the thing that, that distinguishes, I think, when, when you look at all that we've read so far in the Bible this year, you know, and, and now we're into the book of First Samuel. You look at all of this, and you see it, especially in the book of Judges that we just finished on Friday, and you see all these people just messing up their lives, and not just messing up their lives, but messing up everybody's life around them, and messing up everything God is trying to do, and you say, what, what is the secret here? And then you see these other, it's the secret, this is the secret, people who live their faith, like Abraham and like Moses and like Joshua. Oh, we're gonna, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Joshua here uh, at, the, at the end of this message. And Joshua and, 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 you know, now yesterday, Ruth, I mean, the faith that she, she was living her faith. Naomi was teaching her to live her faith. And, and now we're going to see Hannah today. And we're going to start to see Samuel in a few, few days. It won't be long. We'll start to see David, King David, the man after God's own heart. And, and the thing you're going to see that is different with these people and then the people that we read up so much about in Judges is, yeah, God used a lot of those people in Judges, but the difference was these people that had amazing blessings and miracles and things happen in their life, they walked their faith every single day. They didn't, they didn't have to introduce themselves to God whenever they had a problem. They had, they had the communication going all, it's like they were already on the phone. And so when a problem came up, they just, oh, oh God, by the way, something just came up. If that's what it is. Okay, so, so, so let, me, let, me, let me just get here to a little bit about the rest of the story and circle back around to this for a moment. Because I think this, this is, here's one of the problems that we have, I think, many times in, as Brent was talking about, the, the, this, new, this new push that we have, I want to believe, but.com, is there's a lot of confusion out there. There's a lot of, of misstating the word of God and what God is, is all about. And, 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 and there's, there's a lot of misunderstanding. And if you go, if you go to the, 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 the online, if you, if you Google your, your spiritual question, you are going to get 
answers from a thousand different perspectives. And you're going to get confused. Well, let me, let me give you what I believe are the two biggest reasons for confusion. And this isn't just the confusion that's online and on the internet. This is the confusion that is even it gets in our hearts from time to time. And here they are. The two biggest reasons, I believe, for the confusion is, number one, we only read portions of Scripture, and therefore we come to unsupported conclusions. We don't read the whole thing. We don't get the whole story, the rest of the story, right? And the second reason is instead of seeking truth, we're looking only long enough to just support what we already believe. We just, just want to validate our feelings, validate our opinions, validate our theologies, and, and that's enough. And so that, then, if you do number two, then that's what, that's what, you know, if that's what you're doing, then you're also going up, number one, that's basically what you do, you just read a portion of it because you're just trying to validate who you are, what you believe, and those things. But what we have to do is we have to always seek the whole truth. You have to always seek the whole truth because your, your faith is always under attack. Something or someone is always wanting to shake your faith and what you believe about God and what you believe is God. I mean, I mean even, even sometimes reading scripture, if you're not careful, come on, especially those of you who are reading with us in the Bible Project, you know what I'm talking about here, is even reading this, and sometimes you say, whoa, wait a minute, this doesn't match up with my theology and what I think about God and all that, if you're not careful. That's why we've got to know the whole story. And here's one example right here, that half the truth is that Israel was in trouble with God most of the time, okay? Yes, they were, in the book of Judges especially. And, and you know, if, you, if, you did, if you're not reading in the Bible Project with us, then I'm going to tell you enough that you, you get it, okay? But if you're reading, you know this. Israel stayed in trouble with God. I mean, they were always, always in trouble with God. And so, you know, it makes God look like God's a big old bad dad, right? He's a big old bad meanie. But, you know, my thing is not, you know, my question isn't how, how could God punish them this way or that? You know, my question is how could Israel get to this place? I mean, with all that God has done, God gave them a land. He looked at Abraham and he said, I'm going to make you a great nation. And he said, and then he told his descendants, I'm taking you back to that land. And I'm going I'm to just wipe people out in front of you. And these people, they're doing all kinds of despicable things. And I got to get them out of the way. And, and, and Israel, they, they, they forget this and over and over and over. And then the second, second thing that I'm incredulous about I don't understand, is, is not why does God judge them, but why does God keep trying to bless them? You know, I mean, you know, if you treated me like Israel treated God over and over and over, I would finally get tired of trying to make you happy and meet your needs. You know what? I would block you on my cell phone, you know? I would unfriend you on Facebook. I would not be listening anymore. How in the world is it that God continues to reach out to Israel? That's what blows me away. But here's the answer. is that God has an, unquench an unquenchable desire to bless and not just bless Israel, but to bless all people, all of those made in his image. He has this unquenchable desire to bless. And that's the rest of the story. You see, half the story is that Israel is always in trouble with God, and God is always having to say, no, you've messed up again. That's only part of the story. The rest of the story is that God has this unquenchable desire to bless, and so he keeps coming back. 
and you, you know, and we turn our back on him or we, 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 we do him wrong and he keeps coming back for more and more punishment. He just keeps coming back and he keeps coming back. Well, <laughs> I, normally, I normally keep my toes here so I know where that's at, but <laughs> I got into that one just a little too much. Or maybe not. <laughs> maybe you needed the emphasis, but he keeps coming back. And, and, you know, the best place to see that, I, I think this is in Judges, is in Judges. Let, let, real quick, here, here's, a, here's a brief recap of Judges, okay, that we just came out of. Ver, uh, chapter 3, verse 7, and in verse 11 in a second. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God, and they served the Baals and the Asheroth. So God sends Othniel. Sends Othniel. And then the land, and he delivers them. He leads them to the deliverance. And then the land had rest 40 years. The very next verse, verse 12, next slide. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So God sends Ehud to deliver them. And then the land had peace for 80 years. Chapter four, verse one. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So God sends Deborah and Barak, and they deliver Israel. And the, then the land had peace 40 years. Chapter six, verse one. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, so God sends them Gideon. And the land had peace for 40 years. And as soon as, soon as, as soon as, as soon as, not five years later, as soon as Gideon dies, the people of Israel turned again and whored after the Baals. I'm sorry, I just had to throw that little phrase in. You had to see that. After all God had done for them, they turned their back on God and they whored after the Baals. And here's the really, really, really sad part to me. There are 13 more chapters in the book of Judges, and never again do I hear that phrase, the land had peace. It's like, and if you saw the video, and there's videos with this Bible project, I mean, you're missing so much if you're not in the Bible project with us. But if you watch that video, one of the things that it pointed out to us is how it just got worse and worse. What, not only were they in this cycle, but it just gets worse and worse and worse. They're in this cycle where God blesses them, they turn their back on him, and then they, they start having problems, and so then they call out to God. And so they come back up here, and so God sends a deliverer, and he blesses them, and then they turn their back on him, and then they start having problems because of that, so they repent and turn back to God. And so they come back up here, so God sends a deliverer, and he blesses them, and it goes on and on and on until finally now, after chapter eight, we never see in the book of Judges, we see Judges again. We see more of this happening, but we never see the land having rest ever again. No, but you know what we see? We see that's a horrible story of Jephthah. I mean, yeah, great deliverance, but then what he did, what he did after that, and, 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 and Lord, if you're not looking at the rest of the story, you're missing the point. God never told him to do what he did, and I'm, I'm really trying to leave this for those of you who haven't read this. I really want you to, I really want to leave you some appetite there. I got to go see what Jephthah did. Oh, it's horrible. He made a vow to God because of the victory. It was horrible what he vowed to do, and God never told him to do that. God did not support him doing that. But he, how, how could this get? And then, and then there was, then there was, I think about two, three chapters of this guy named Micah, and Micah he uh, he hires a Levite. So for his own priest in his own house, you know, and, and, and he does, and then somebody in the family notices something, and, and so, and, you know, you're thinking, okay, good, they're going to say, this is not a good thing. No, they didn't. 
And, and, and then somebody else comes by and they're going to tell, no, they didn't. And then, then the army comes by on their way and thinks somebody in this army has got to say, look, we're facing all this trouble because of, because of the sin. And, and now look at, you, you've hired your own Levite, you've hired your own priest, you've got your own idol, you've got your own ephod, you've got all this stuff. And they think somebody's got, and you know what they don't? The army just steals the ephod and the idol and has the priest go with them. You know, at some point you're just thinking somebody's going to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. We are God's people, but we're not walking, we're not living our faith anymore. And there's no one, it is as if everyone in Israel has completely come under the spell of the culture that is around them. And now they can no longer envision God. There's no Moses to stand at a burning bush. There's no Joshua to speak to the angel of the armies of the Lord of hosts of the heavens. There's no one anymore. There's no one speaking this. Oh, sure, Samson came along, but he was there for himself. Gideon came along, but look at the end of Gideon's life. Look at what he did after the great victory. Sure, those people came along, but there was, there was nobody that was there doing this. We have to be so, so careful. We have to be so careful. The, the very last sentences, the very last point, the very last verse of the book of Judges said, and so everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Nobody's listening anymore. Nobody's, because nobody's speaking anymore either. Nobody's living their faith. That's how they get to this place. And it's almost like at some point, they just put it on autopilot. But eventually that plane runs out of gas and then what happens? You know, autopilot is a very dangerous way to live your life. Because even, even Christians, if you aren't paying attention, your morals will change. Because just, you think, think about an airplane, and you try to hold it still, you try to hold it on course, but the currents of the winds are just slowly, slowly. It doesn't take a you don't You don't have to get blown around 90 degrees to not reach your destination. All it takes is one degree off. And that's what ha our culture just keeps, the people around us, the people that, 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 that are pouring into our lives, the people that we are allowed, and the things that we allow in our lives, they can slowly, slowly get us off. It doesn't happen in a day. It doesn't happen in a night. Uh, in, in the book of James, we see the explanation of how sin actually happens. Look at this. <laughs> this, is, this is like mind-blowing. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. I thought I just got tempted and sinned. You know, I thought it was that quick, right? Didn't you? I mean, I've, I've known this scripture for a while. I don't mean just this week. But, you know, that's what I've always kind of thought, you know. And, and, and then God started explaining to me. That, and here it is, right here. It's, it's a process. You're tempted and then lured and enticed by desire, which then conceives and gives birth to sin. And then there's death. I mean, it doesn't happen overnight. It happens in the slow process. Israel didn't walk away from God in a moment. It happened in a process. And the things around them, the things in their lives, they just slowly started pushing them just a little bit out of line with where God was leading them. They, they weren't, they were no longer living their faith. 
Like Cain, you, you, know, you know Cain Cain and Abel? Remember the fir- first two twins in the Bible? You, you remember the story, Cain killed Abel? He, he didn't get mad one day and all of a sudden just fly off the handle and kill his brother. That's not the way it happens. Because we even, even if you go back and read the story, you even see where God spoke to Cain. God spoke to Cain. He said, Cain, why are you so upset? Why are you so messed up with this? And you know what? Cain doesn't do anything to fix it. So Cain is, you know, if, if he's talking to God and God's talking back to him about this, then, 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 then obviously Cain has had a problem with this for a while and it just keeps building and building and building until finally I've had all I can handle and I blow up and I commit sin. I kill my brother. You know, King David even, his great sin, we're going to read about that in just a week or two, his great, a couple of weeks, his great sin, and, and I don't want to tell you what it is, but let me just, let me, because I don't want you focused on the sin, I want you to focus on what leads to the sin, because it's not the sin. First of all, what we find out is that when it was time for the kings to be at war, David was lounging at his house, and then he had insomnia, and he walked out on the, on the, on the balcony, and then he saw something that he decided he wanted. And so then he asked about it. And then when he found out he couldn't have it, he went and got it anyway. Now, you know what? Probably the David from a year or two later, the David who had maybe written a, a great psalm of worship to God, the David who was you know, slinging that stone uh, in that sling to, to kill a lion or a bear or, and Goliath, would have never said, God says, I can't have that, and I'm going to get it anyway. No, he was a man after God's own heart. What happened? It was a progress. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. Other things began happening in his life. Then he saw something he shouldn't have, found, and he, but he asked about it anyway, found out he not only shouldn't have it, he couldn't have it, but he went and got it anyway because he's the king, and he can have whatever he wants. That's how sin happens. Okay, but I'm talking to Christians today, and let's not even just talk about sin. Let's not even talk about going that far. Because what I'm talking about today is having awesome faith to have the awesomeness of God in your life every day. And when, you know, if Cain, if it can happen to Cain, and definitely if it can happen to King David, the man after God's own heart, just to slowly lose sight of the faith that you've got in God, then it can happen to us. That's why we must always focus on living the faith that we have in our lives of who God is and what he is. We must, we have to. And this was what Joshua in those last moments of of his leadership at the end of the book of Joshua, this is what he knew he was combating. He was looking at Israel and he was already seeing them as a nation that could not follow God. But because he was the leader of awesome faith, they were still kind of in that faith. It's kind of like people who come to church, but they don't live their faith the rest of the week. They come to church and, and, and they get a little help and, it, and so we, we kind of stay on a close to the right path, but we've, we just fail all week long and we get back to church. Why? Because we've got some leaders and some people around us who are living the faith. That's what was going on with Israel. But Joshua knew he was gonna be dying soon and there was no leader to take his place. And so he began speaking to them about that. And this is in Joshua chapter 24. This is several selected verses, just for those, <laughs> those nine, <clears throat> nine verses. But as serving the Lord seems 
seems undesirable to you. I love this. This is, this is how, you know, this is not the beginning, but when he gets to this point, Joshua is now, he's using irony in his speech, okay? What he is saying is, this, this, this uh, Hebrew word for undesirable here means if serving God is undesirable because you think it's harmful, because you think it's bad for you, you know, like bad for your health to serve God or whatever, or if you think it's weird or uh, bad in any way, that's, that's what this Hebrew word means, okay? And so if you think serving God is undesirable, and I love this because what he has just done, don't have time to read all those verses, but the verses right before verse 15, he has reminded them of all the things God has done for them. And he says, but if you still think serving God is not a good thing, I mean, he's, he's using irony here because you know what they are doing? You know what they are serving? They are already serving the idols and the false gods of the land that God has now given them. They were supposed to drive all that out. They were supposed to get rid of all the idols, but they took them to their houses. And here's what he's telling them is, is he's, he's reminding them that God is the desirable one. But what you're doing is you're, you are already following after the undesirable ones, and I'm not even gone yet. So he's using irony to make his point. He says, choose for yourselves. If, if, if God's not good enough for you, then choose. Who are you going to serve? The gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you were living? I don't have time to preach that. I got points I want to throw at you, but I don't have time for it. And then he says, here's this awesome faith, okay? Here it is. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. You know, there's a problem in our society right now, and I'm talking about our, our Christian society right now. And it is that we say, well, we can't make our kids. The other day I heard my wife was telling me about talking to someone, and, and they were talking about how, well, well you know, I, tr I tried to encourage my kids. And David said, well, that's what we always, always tried to do is try to encourage our kids to go to church as, as, as long as they were living in our house. And I said, no, we didn't. We didn't try to encourage them. They had to go to church every Sunday morning. They were living in my house. As for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. That's living your faith. I am not a man of faith, and then at home, I'm a husband, and I'm a dad, and I'm a granddad. I am a man of faith, and that faith permeates every bit of who I am. I am living my faith when I'm a husband. I am living my faith when I'm a dad. I'm living my faith when I'm a granddad. I'm sorry if I offend you, but we're going to ask the blessing if you meet me for lunch one day because I'm a man of faith when I'm just being a buddy of somebody in relationships because we have to live our faith. And let me tell you why I want to do it. Because unlike the Israelites, I have decided. I know that serving God is not an undesirable thing. It is the most desirable thing I I have in me because through him and through this faith that he has given me, I have the blessings of this life and the blessings of a life to come. Amen. Amen. Ask for me in my house. That's awesome faith. So then, then he says, but you can't serve God. Now I'm having a paraphrase here because I don't have time to read it all. He says, but you can't serve God. Now that sounds mean. You're judging these people. Yeah, he's kind of judging them. He's looking at them. He, you ain't living your faith right now. And when I leave here, and when I'm not here to push you and push you and push you, you are not going to live your faith. They said, no. Okay, we're back up here now. No, we will serve the Lord. And so you know the first thing he has to tell them to do? Okay, if you're going to serve God then, 
Throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. Wait, wait, wait. They have, I've already told you this, right? But again, they've got idols in their house and they're saying, no, we want to serve God. No, you don't. No, you don't when you've got idols in your house. Okay, I, I, don't, I don't have any time for this. I don't have any time for this. Okay, I've, I've really got to quit here, okay? But I've got to share this with you as fast as I can, okay? I just want to, I want to take you two places real quick. Two quick things that jo- Joshua was telling them this. He said, you're going to have to make some hard decisions. You can't just say, yes, I'm going to serve God. No, you've got to make some hard decisions. You've got to decide, yes, God deserves my servant. He deserves my love. He deserves my faith. And, and, and so what you're going to have to do, go to the next slide, please. You've got to make the hard decisions. You've got to look around. You've got to f- figure out what in my life needs to go. You've got to dump the distractions. You've got to delete the doubt. And let's talk about two things here. Your friends, first of all. You know, friends... If you're listening to this on podcast, I'm doing the, the quote thing with my fingers while I'm saying friends, okay? Have you ever had a friend that was not a friend? This first one right here, you know, one of the, one of the indicators of a successful marriage, a marriage that lasts, is having friends around you who have a high opinion of marriage. Here, here's, here's the point. I really want to develop this. I ain't got time to develop it. I just got to throw it at you. If you're married and there is someone in your life that you think is a friend of yours, but they are not a friend of your marriage, you need to wake up and smell the coffee. They are not a friend of yours. And you, you, you need to recognize and understand that because you're not living your faith here and then you've got this marriage. And so if they're not your friend in this, they're not your friend at all because they're standing against what it is you're trying to accomplish. That's not a friend. You know, and so, so you need to ask these questions. What do the people around me challenge me to do? What do they challenge me to do? What do they challenge me to be? Do they challenge me to take the easy way out? Do they challenge me to push the envelope with God? Do they challenge me to, ah, oh, don't be so, don't be so holy and spiritual. No, don't, you don't have to pray about it. Do they challenge you or do they challenge you to reach up to God for everything that you've got? And, and listen, I know, boy. I, I, this, my, this, this last little part, these two points here probably needed to be an entirely different sermon, but I didn't know if you'd come back for it. So here's a rule of thumb for it. Is, as Christians, we have to have friends who aren't Christians. How can, how can we fulfill the great commission to let somebody else know about it if we don't have friends that are not Christians? We have to. But I need to give you a rule of thumb here on your relationships. You know, it's not, are my friends bad people? Do they smoke, drink, cuss, and chew? Hang out with people who do. That was the old saying, right? You know, and all that. What do they do? It's not that. Because we, we gotta hang out with some of those people. But here's the rule of thumb. Who is influencing whom? That's, that's the rule of thumb for you. When you, when you are pouring into somebody and somebody's listening to you and you're making some little difference in their life, hallelujah, thank God. But when they are pulling you down or away or making you doubt or planting ideas or, or thoughts in your head, then that's that, wait, this one isn't healthy and I've either got to grow stronger, but either way, I got to step away from this one. But let me take you another, because we've got to ask that question also about media, music, activities, hobbies, whatever. Do my choices positively or negatively influence me? Do they feed my spirit? 
and its desires for God, or do they feed my flesh and its desires? Ask you these questions right here, just real quick. Is there a place in your life that you really wish? Did anybody finish that sentence? If not, finish it. Is there a place in your life that you really wish? Or let me ask, is there a, a, a place in your marriage where, can you finish, is, is there a phrase or something that finishes that sentence that makes sense in your life? Or is there a place in your finances where you really, really need is there a phrase that finishes that that would say, yes, that makes sense to me? You know, I, I don't make me, you finish it. Is, is there something that you could put at the end of one of those sentences or something like it that you'd say, yes? Then let me tell you what Joshua would tell you to do. Thinking about that place that you have in your life, your marriage, your finances, or some, somewhere. Joshua would say, first of all, you have to decide, is God desirable for me? To follow after. And it's not enough to do it in these few moments here on Sunday morning because that place ain't here, is it? That place in your marriage, it's not here, it's out there. That place in your finances is not right now, it's, out, it's about the 163 hours after we say amen that you're going to have the rest of this week. So it's not about deciding, is God a good God to worship on Sunday morning? That's not enough. You got to decide, is God desirable enough? Is he, is he the God that I need to, that I need to uh, live my faith in all week long? And then you've got to take inventory. Look around, and especially in those places, you know the places we're talking about? And if there's anything there that is sowing bad seed, that is causing doubt, those places may need to be cleaned out. And you need to clear them. And then the last thing is something I'm going to tell you when you come to the front. Can I get you to stand with me and come to the front? And if you're a first-time attender, we like to close around front with a final prayer and a final song, and, and uh, that's, that's really about all we'll do. I'm going to throw this last little point at you, and then we'll, uh, we'll close. So if you're comfortable, we'd love to have you join us. So, what's the last thing Joshua would tell us? Let me read these last few verses for you. So they said, we want to we want to serve God. We want to live our faith. So he says, uh, so on that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people. And there at Shechem, he reaffirmed for them decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak near the, the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. It, I, he makes the covenant. He reaffirms the decrees and laws. He records it writes it all down, and then he takes a, a large stone and sets it up as a reminder, okay? So what's going on here? What are you saying, Pastor? Here's what I'm saying. Is he's done everything he can to help these people live their faith. He's written it down. He's reminded them of it. He's reaffirmed it, and he's set up the reminders. 
I mean, you know, it's like if you're wanting to say, man, I need to be reading the Bible. You set up the reminders to, to send you the, the emails. I mean, we're doing that. Doing, we do everything we can, but you know what? It is still up to you. Joshua still is about to die. He is about to no longer be the leader of Israel. It is still up to you. We're about to say amen. And you're about to walk out the door. I'm not going to be with you tomorrow. I'm not going to be there to say, hey, let's ask the blessing because, man, he's a good God. And I want him to keep giving me food like this. You know, whatever. Man, you know, it's, it's up to you. You know, I, I could point out or I could remind you, but I'm not going to be there tomorrow. What is that place in your life, in your marriage, in your finances, or wherever that you want, you need something awesome to happen? You're going to have to have awesome faith. Choose to live an awesome faith. That's the, that's the third thing that Joshua would tell you today is decide if God is worth following with everything you've got 168 hours a week not just the first few. Decide that, clear out those places that are pouring the bad stuff in and start living your faith so that you, you can see the good seed sown into your life. I gotta close, I gotta quit. I wanna pray with you. I want this prayer team to pray with you. These, uh, these, they're standing here ready to pray. That's, this is what they've been, been waiting on. We wanna pray with you, whatever it is. Whatever those places are, and listen, I know, I know, I know some of you say, well, I'll pray about it later. Let us pray with you now about it too, okay? And let us believe God now about it as well, all right? Jamie, go ahead when you can. Let us, let us, let us close this.